After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I that had that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones sat twenty-four elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside, day and night. They never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is part of our text for this coming Sunday, specifically uh, the main portion of the preaching text as we're, we're going through Revelation. And it's interesting that this turn happens right after all the letters. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, the, the reading was to go into the letter that was written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, and then we have... Um, other letters that are written to the other six churches. We have Ephesus, then we have Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And for each one, there's conversation about how well they are doing in certain things and then how well they are not doing in other things. And it would cause most Christians, most members of the church, to grow fatigued to feel themselves less than, to feel themselves as though, dang it, we thought we were doing so well, but then we have this thing, well, we gotta do better. We need to do better, right? But then we forget that every single time it's this call for repentance, which is just turning. Turning away from something else and turning towards a different thing. Uh, it also can mean changing one's mind. Having, having a mindset change where we're focused on one thing and then we're, we're called to focus, focus on another thing. Well, here in Revelation chapter 4 becomes that other thing. After all the letters are written, we get a glimpse again of glory. Just as John had a glimpse of that glory here at the beginning in which he is 
is caught up in this vision of the risen Lord who, who pronounces himself, I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And, and, and there he, he sees this one, this uh, crazy, scary Jesus, as I talked about last week, uh, who doesn't look like any Jesus we would ever have a painting of. Uh, doesn't look anything like the Jesus who's carrying the lamb on his shoulders or uh, the child in his arms. Very, a very different looking Jesus. And then here we get this very different looking God for us. Where uh, with many of these letters you're left with fear. Almost. But here, chapter 4, we get awe. We get magnificence. We get mystery, transcendence, something more than what we would ever expect to see. We have, first of all, I love the fact that there's an open door in heaven, <laughs> that it's not a closed door. Uh, there's there's a sermon there somewhere. And, and then he says, the first voice that I had heard speaking to me, so Christ calls to him in that trumpet saying, come up here, and I'm going to show you what must take place after this. And then it says, immediately I was in the spirit. Right? So he's taking him up there and he needs to show him this whole vision, this whole revelation of these things are gonna, that are going to happen. But notice, before he gets to any of that, the focus for us is given to us. That yes, there's going to be these beasts and there's going to be this man and there's going to be these prophets and there's going to be angels and there's going to be plagues and horsemen and all this other stuff. It's really going to just be almost a distraction from the most important thing, which is the thing that we're given here, where we're given this glimpse of God again, transported in the same way that we receive in Isaiah 6, in the beginning of Ezekiel, and places in Daniel, and, and, and other portions of Scripture, that we're given a much more transcendent understanding of who God is, the God beyond the Incarnation, the God from which the Incarnation came, the God uh, who came to earth for us. And, and so we, we get this one seated who, whose appearance is like precious stones and, and that there's an uh, emerald rainbow uh, surrounding this throne that he's sitting on. And around the throne are 24 elders with crowns on their heads, so important people. And then flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder coming from the throne, this power, this might, that, that we would see uh, if we go back to Exodus and we read about the, the Israelites before Mount Sinai. We have thunder and fire and volcanic activity and earthquakes and all this other stuff showing that there is a God that is more powerful than us. And then we have those fiery torches we're burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, which is weird, you know, seven spirits of God. And then you think back to the lampstands and you think about the stars that were talked about, how they represent the churches and the spirit of the churches. And there, it's, it's not as though God has seven spirits and they each have a different name and they go out and do these different things like, they, like, like demons or something, I don't know. No, it's the symbolism of the completeness of God's spirit, the symbolism of, of, of that. But also, I like to hearken it to, well, the spirit of the church that's talked about uh, with the stars and the lampstands. 
is the spirit of God. It's not our spirit. It's God's spirit. And that these torches are actually the, those churches in the presence of God. That, that when we, we gather together as the church, the body of Christ, we gather to be in the presence of God. Uh, we're not gathering for a business meeting. We're not gathering for a, for a, a time together at the supper club. There, there's something else happening. And then we're given the four living creatures, which are just weird. And yet it's this, this picture of something beyond our imagining of the creative order. It's this gathering together of these four forces that are beyond our imagination of this, this one uh, lion with wings and an ox with wings and a man with wings and a, and a flying eagle with wings, which we can kind of understand, but there's six wings and, and they have eyes all over them, which um, there's symbolism in there from Ezekiel and, and, and from Isaiah. And, and day and night, they never stop saying. They continually always say, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, meaning the one that has all the might, like Pastor Chris has been preaching about, who was, who is, and who is to come, that there is no time in which God does not exist, and he is the Holy One and the Almighty One. And they continue to announce that. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, which is a wonderful line that reminds us that God is the living God, that he's not a dead God, he's not a stationary God, he's not a God that we go to, but he's a living God who comes to us. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. Notice it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne. Well, when is that? Well, uh, day and night, they never stop saying. The whole time, those elders who have the crowns, who you'd think were so awesome, no, they continually are bowing down before the throne and casting their crowns before him. And then they say something. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, which is true. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, right? But why? Why? What's the reason? And he gives it to us. Because you have created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. We forget that often. We like to talk about God as creator, especially if we use it to, to further uh, some sort of agenda dealing with how we want to deal with the environment, which is good, right? Because God is creator. He's the one who has made all things. He's the one who, um, who you know, it holds the, the whole world together, holds the world in, in the palms of his hands. Um, but we never think about the consequences of it. And, and, we, and part of that is because I think most of us have forgotten our catechism. And that, that is most certainly true, <laughs> that we have forgotten our catechism, what we've been told, what, what we're given in the Lutheran catechism, the, the small catechism, of what, when, when Luther is wanting to explain this understanding, which we're given here the reason why God should receive all glory and honor, because he created all things, we're told in the explanation to the first article, where the first article is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It says, well, what does this mean? What, what do we mean when we say that? Luther is asking. Luther says, I believe that God has created me in all that exists. 
He has given me and still preserves my body and soul with all their powers. He provides me with food and clothing, home and family, daily work, and all I need from day to day. God also protects me in time of danger and guards me from every evil. All this he does out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy, though I do not deserve it. Therefore, I surely ought to thank and praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. That, that we're called on to give him glory and honor and, and majesty and, and all the power and, and everything. Why? Because he has created all things. And he daily and abundantly provides for me all the necessities of life. That God's creative work does not end with uh, the, the sixth day of creation where on the seventh he rested. That it's a continuation continually of us that God gives to us. The fact that you received things today from God food and clothing, house and home, family and property, work, all those things, is, is a reason to give God the glory. But we don't. We don't. We always either want to take the glory for ourselves or we give the glory to someone else rather than God. But the reality is for us is that one day, uh, as Philippians 2 tells us, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So one day that will be true for us, that we will eventually be able to worship God in spirit and in truth rather than worshiping other things. But it's this call for us to stop worrying about how we're going to try and manage God or how we're going to try and manage church to make it fit for us. Rather, let's allow God to work in us, to be present with us so that we're not distracted by other things. Because as we continue to go through Revelation, we're going to be distracted by a lot of things there. And there's a reason why John is taken in chapter 4 into the throne room of God to be able to say, no, he's in control. He has all power. He's already won the victory. Oh, by the way, things are going to go bad. But come back to 4. He has all the power. He's going to win the victory. But yeah, things are going to get worse. People are going to get killed and there's going to be war and there's going to be plague. And there's going to... Yes, but he has all the power. He has all the glory. He is almighty. He is the creator. He has made all things. He is the living one will live forever and because he lives you will live also what a glorious message in times of suffering let us pray O god who declarest thy almighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity mercifully grant unto us such a measure of thy grace that we running the way of thy commandments may obtain thy gracious promises and be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure through jesus christ our lord amen well, go in peace, church. Serve the Lord. We'll see you tomorrow.